0: Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCoursey and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCoursey here with Matt Watson. Hey, Matt. Hey, what's going on, man? I was just sitting around earlier and, you know, I was looking at my computer screen and all of a sudden a doctor showed up and I said, man, what's up, doc? I got a weird rash. I need somebody to look at. I, Oh, wow. Now... That is not what I said to the doctor, but the, <laughs> <laughs> the use case that I mentioned was regarding telehealth. And we're going to talk all about that. But before we do, today's episode of Start a Puzzle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. With us today, we have Guy Friedman, who is the CEO of SteadyMD and also a neighbor of ours from st louis hello guy hey thanks for having me thanks for taking the time man i appreciate it and as i mentioned uh you know startup hustle is really starting to reach out to some of our neighboring communities and SteadyMD is one of the more interesting startups located in st louis which is our neighbor to the east and uh neighbor or rival it both neighbors can be rivals right and 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 maybe according to kansas city tech council uh ceo uh someone we can visit on the hyperloop at some point that's that's the dream yeah that that so
1: uh it's people people in missouri are are a little too nice to have a real rivalry i think
0: well Uh. uh, not not (laughs) if you get over here i i go (laughs) royal i'm still i'm still like filled with with competitive rage from nineteen eighty five in the world series. But was uh, that
1: St. St. Louis Royals in the World Series that year? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that shows my age. Uh, <laughs> I was I was 10. So now now obviously I, I don't have to get too far into it. Everyone knows we're all working from home and the dynamic of how we interface socially and professionally is changing with that the field of telehealth is really taking off. Really tele anything uh, guy, can you before you give us a background about what you do at SteadyMD? Can you start by defining the whole telehealth space and like what that consists of, and kind sure. of kind of give us a talk to us as if we were small children for a moment, yeah, and that, let us know how SteadyMD is problem. changing
1: the scene. Um, I think it's it's interesting because you know my grandpa was a doctor, and he called people on the phone from his office, and that like in quotes was telemedicine in 1952 or whatever, whenever he was a doctor. So I think, um, the industry itself is comprised of different factors, uh, traditionally, and and this is not the business we're in, but when you see the big, the big headline names like TeleDoc, doctor on demand, what they do is basically urgent care completely online. So they've kind of pioneered this concept of press a button will route you to a random doctor somewhere in america that can take care of you for that acute appointment um and then you have traditional doctors who just allow you to call them via video that's also telemedicine that'd be your like normal primary care doctor um and then there's all the different like doctor to doctor consults where if you're in a hot er and you want to talk to a doctor who specializes in stroke and one of your patients is having a stroke there are services that allow you to connect with the doctor if you're in a rural hospital and you don't have a, a doctor you can talk with uh, physically you can connect and there's a bunch of different machinations of this um it's a 20 billion to 30 billion dollar year industry so it's not a small industry um and it's been around for i don't know 15 20 years um so the 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 business of telemedicine is not a uh, brand new it's relatively new in terms of healthcare, but I mean, Teladoc's been around for years, um, and a lot of these other players, it's kind of the first wave of the stuff you might've heard of is the urgent care guys, which is the Teladocs and, um, doctor on demands. And then, um, there's also a business around just being a, a raw technology and not having doctors, but giving technology to doctors and allow them to connect with patients. So that's kind of the landscape. Um. We're very unique, SteadyMD, and doing something that no one else is doing and no one else has ever done completely online. Um, so what we did is we took the concept of concierge medicine, which is patients um, pay a yearly or monthly fee for extra access to a primary care doctor so for extra time and attention, and we took that concept and put it completely online. Um, key to our model is the concept of alignment, so every patient that comes to study MD gets matched with a doctor that's right for them. And we do that via this really cool matching quiz where we talk about your, um, your healthcare, your healthcare needs, your exercise habits, your nutrition, whatever kind of affects you. And we pair you with a doctor that has expertise in those categories. So you could say, I'm a diabetic who's a vegetarian. And we might find you a doctor who wrote a book on diabetes and, uh, and practices the vegetarian diet and has written 10 papers on vegetarianism. It's just in that that's across the board, all these different criteria. Once you've matched with a doctor, you have an hour long video call with that physician, and then you're connected to the same dedicated doctor via phone video, but really cool. We have a really cool chat app as well. So you're chatting with the doctor via text. Um, so you can talk about small things or big things like for instance, that rash, Um, take a picture of that rash, send it to the doctor. He can triage it right there, maybe get a consult and prescribe something to you. Um, Or you could say, I have chronic stomach pain. I'd like to resolve this over the next year. And the doctor can also handle that on our platform. So the key differentiator between us and the rest of the industry is we develop long-term personal relationships with the same dedicated doctor. And our whole business model is focused on that where 99% of the industry is press a button, get a random doctor for an acute appointment, which is kind of a different, so, uh, different pitch.
2: So is, is your goal to replace insurance that they might
1: have, or is this like an add-on in addition yep. to
2: their insurance? It's an, or it's kind an of what add-on.
1: It's-, yeah, it's an add-on. Your insurance covers acute care with a primary care doctor um, or, or – Primary care doctors have almost 3,000 patients per doctor right now. That's the ratio. Right. So they have less, they, you know, that, they're seeing is 20. That, is that true? Yep. 2,500 wow. to 3,000, let's say. I've never met a doctor, a primary care doctor with less than 3,000 patients. But I think the industry stat is like 2,700. So they're seeing 20 to 30 but patients. What a about day. those
2: that are doing, what about those that are doing direct care? Because like I have a direct care do- doctor where I pay, yeah. I want to pay, I pay like $60 a month or something.
1: Yeah, that's similar and to what I don't do. think
2: he has very many patients.
1: No, because he does that. We're talking, so the doctors just under insurance have 2,700 to 3,000 patients. They're seeing 20, 30 patients today, five to 10 minutes at a time. What we do is more similar to what you have, which is we charge a monthly fee and we do not bill insurance. So our doctors see at most five, 600 patients a piece. They have 10x the amount of time to care for patients and- a huge thing is not billing insurance because most primary care doctors spend about fifty percent of their time billing insurance, like coding in the computer. So they really don't have a lot of time to develop long term continuous care, practice preventative medicine, and definitely don't have the time to develop a relationship with the patient. It's just tough. And so we I spend think all their
2: time on I C D nine and C P T codes.
1: You got it. And uh, we like to say there's no CPT Fancy co- that. There's no CPT Fancy. code for keeping you healthy. Yeah, you know, you, so you know the, what, guy, the, whole, I, the whole incentive structure is messed up. If there's no CPT code for just preventing you from getting sick, what we're only paying for when you get sick. So if you're if you don't go to the doctor that often, or you just want to have a relationship with the doctor, the system's not designed for that. And so that's kind of where you guys need to we've...
0: define some acronyms. <laughs> what well, the hell is he, CPT code?
1: He, he said CPT code. I didn't say CPT code, so I, I was responding. But it's just a like. Let's say you have like strep them throat. and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So, so every, let's say every, I want every you, now and you, then Matt dazzles us yeah. there. <laughs> you come in for like a strep throat to your normal primary care doctor. Um, so, how do, he has to press like 82 buttons to code it right to send it to the to send document it to the it. insurance company. And, yeah, and document, document in case they get yeah. challenged later. Right. Exactly. So, so, so what the, it, um, so Go what ahead. do you
2: guys charge for your service? Will, will you share that with us? Yeah,
1: absolutely. No, And,
2: and, all, and,
0: all, and I, I have a tack on to that. Also, what is, who is your primary user? Is it through companies or is this just like something that individuals are doing on their own that might not have insurance?
1: Great question. Um, we charge $99 a month for an adult uh, for primary care. We also have pediatrics as well as functional medicine with different price points and then family plans as well. But like the core model is if you're just an adult signing up, it's ninety nine dollars a month for an annual subscription. Um, Everyone has insurance, Uh, so we typically when you onboard, you give us your insurance information and we actually have a team of medical assistants embedded in the experience and on the app and they handle all of your prescriptions, labs and in-person referrals and anything else you need downstream. So let's say you need to to go see a specialist. My our team internally will find you a specialist covered under your insurance, make the appointment for you, and make sure our doctor gets the uh, the records on the back end. They'll fetch all your old medical records. Like basically, you have a concierge doctor and a medical assistant all wrapped in one. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's for people that want extra time and attention and a relationship with a doctor. Uh, it's definitely not a replacement for insurance um that you need your insurance obviously for emergencies and to pay for all your your downstream care but we take care of a lot of your primary care needs
2: so is your pricing different based on age at all because like the one that i've had the the pricing was different based on
1: age uh we have pediatrics but once you're 18 and over it's it's uh it's 99 so the the pediatrics um uh, it, 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 that varies based on what age you are, but it's a little less. And then, uh, and then obviously if you're, in a, if you're in a family plan, it's less per patient. Um, we also have a functional medicine practice, which is $200 a month, um, which is incredibly popular because there's not many functional medicine doctors in the U S the supply is very constrained. And, and so, um, that's a much deeper dive, uh, longer intake process, more testing. Um, it's, it's a, it's a different, uh, different level of service that, people want really focuses on the root cause of illness and optimizing your health in a more intense way than the primary care practice. So one, one big question I have is,
2: you know, what percentage of health issues can you resolve over telemedicine versus you'd have to do in person? It's a good question. um, I
1: think, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, industry wide, I think most like 75, 80% of acute cases can be handled, but that's with a random urgent care doctor that you don't know with study MD, you have a doctor that you have a relationship with. You've gone over your medical history, your family history. They know you, they know all your tendencies. They know all your allergies. They know they know everything about you. So they can answer all your questions in context. I believe we can cover even more than that. Um, you're, like If you need to go get a strep test or you need to get a flu shot, there's so many options for that. You can go to Walgreens, Walmart, your local urgent care. Um, that part is super convenient. the The part that is very hard to access is I want to talk to the doctor about my blood work. I want to talk to the doctor about my uh, my results, and that's where we come in. So I truly believe we're creating a new category of healthcare and of medicine. It's not your primary care doctor that. Mixes acute and long term care and it just has thousands of patients. It's not urgent care, it's your dedicated physician overseeing and managing all of your health completely online. And the level of alignment and familiarity we have with our patients is you cannot get that in the brick and mortar world. Like if you're an avid marathon runner and you want to talk to a doctor that understands your lifestyle. You can connect with our doctor that just ran the Boston Marathon in two two hours and fifty minutes, or if you're have a um, you know you've you have a specific disease, your local primary care doctor is not going to have all the knowledge about that. And so we want to we want to really itemize and allow doctors to match with patients in a really robust way. And this is not just a I mean, there's a lot of pain and suffering on the doctor side as well. If you talk to primary care doctors. There's a really high amount of burnout. They don't like their they, – they don't like the – I have to constantly be billing. I'm getting squeezed and squeezed by the insurance company or the hospital or whoever to see more and more patients per day. Um, they kind of feel like they're on this like – they're in a big – they're in a grind, you know. And so we help them get off that hamster wheel. I think this and really- is amazing I- and I feel like this – Thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it seems like this – potentially solve so many issues we have in our healthcare system around insurance and cost and all sorts of things. I mean, $100 a month doesn't seem, sound so bad. And, and I would imagine if I had a whole lot of employees, I could, you know, get it at an even lower price. And, and you know, that's got to be way cheaper than insurance. That doesn't cover major medical insurance, stuff like that. But I think the combination of these things could really help move us forward and solve a lot of Yeah,
1: I, yeah. Absolutely. So, we, uh, we have mostly direct-to-consumer right now. Um, we have, a, we have a, quite a few employers as well on the platform with that exact idea in mind. Um, a lot of employers are, are getting really uh, familiar with and are interested in direct primary care. And so, they know that it drives costs down and increases employee satisfaction, and it's just a way better experience. And so, when we go to an employer, we say, well, just, we can onboard everyone in your company tomorrow, it's a very cool pitch versus um uh there's a local primary care doctor that is doing dpc everyone can go to if they want um it's a lot more convenient and especially for the younger healthier uh patients they really appreciate it because they they want a doctor that they can text with and chat with they're not necessarily sick they just want someone that they'll have a relationship with so that's really where we uh we come in and um And provide really great value around that idea and of course our you know fantastic care as well but it's really this deep uh deep personal relationship with your physician you cannot get in the brick and mortar world yep
0: you you know one of the one of the things that I was just thinking about was my likely, you know, and I don't currently utilize healthcare like this, but I would probably a lot more frequently and effectively if I didn't have to actually go to the doctor's office. And then, you know, on top of that, you know, so uh, last week, my my primary care doctor called and said, hey, you're due to come in for a physical. And I was like, yeah, call me back in a few months because the last place I want to be right now is a freaking doctor's office. Of course. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's like literally the last place that I wanted. Well, actually it's right behind an emergency room. Right. You know, right. and that yeah. just seems like a great place to like catch the coronavirus or something. And yeah. Yeah. you know that, that, and then I think another thing that you brought up that I thought was really interesting is the last time I went to have blood work done, I got a paper in the mail that had like a whole bunch of numbers and charts on it that I have absolutely no clue what any of them means. And yeah. that was, that was where my experience with my blood test ended. It basically said that everything was within a normal range. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, it didn't mean, I mean, it, and I could see these things that were up and some of them like, looked like they were almost at the threshold and it just, didn't, right. it, it right. didn't feel highly effective. So no, right, we, so uh, yeah, got, we, we got give agree. every,
1: uh, every just quickly on the blood work, every single patient that onboards gets blood work. And we'll go over it with the patient line by line. Just since you mentioned it, I felt like should just specifically say that. So, um, after you onboard, we'll send you to Quest, get your lab work done. It automatically gets injected into our system and our doctor will review it with you after it comes back.
0: So I, the question I have is how did you get into all of this? Are you, do you have a history with healthcare, primary care, or are you a doctor or anything like that or?
1: No, just a crazy guy. <laughs> um, I, uh, oh, so I you're an entrepreneur. Pre- I get it. Yeah, exactly. So I had a startup, um, a previous startup I was, when I was living in Philadelphia. It was a company called Higher Next, And a product we had developed was this uh, thing called online proctoring in an industry called online proctoring where for a college or university, we would administer exams remotely so the uh, the students couldn't cheat if they were if they were in an online uh, school or environment. so you're taking your final exam for UMKC but you live in Chicago we could we could administer that by observing you while you took the took the test completely online. so I had this experience building up and um, kind of managing the idea of scheduling a video appointment, presenting information to both sides of the call and I always thought there was great applications to healthcare and telemedicine specifically. And so when I left, uh, left that, I I sold that company. And then I worked for the acquire for a while. Then I left. Um, I just explored the whole space of healthcare basically. And I got really passionate about this idea that we're overinvesting in the idea of rapid fire, urgent care. If you think about all the telemedicine companies, um, and a ton of private equity-backed or, you know, urgent care centers are opening up. CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, all, all under the premise that when I'm sick, I need a random doctor. Um, when you optimize for that, you really lose the continuity of care and you lose the relationship piece. And no one was really working on that at scale. And so I thought about myself. I'd move five times, switch insurance all the times. I've ne- never had a primary care doctor. I said, uh, you know, I'd really like someone that I could call or text whenever I'm sick or just general, I have like general questions for about my kids, about myself that I don't wanna make an appointment for. I just want a doctor that knows who I am. And that was the spark of the idea. Um, I connect with my co-founder who's a brilliant uh, product and tech person and he was available um, uh, in between startups as well. And we came together and launched this about four years ago um, and that was kind of the genesis of the idea, just uh, personal experience as well as a macro, a study of the market, and seeing oh, the doctor to patient ratio is getting really high, and uh, and no one's solving for the idea that we need continuity of care, which is actually way better for the patient. Study after study shows if you have a primary care doctor and continuous care, uh, your outcomes are way better. That's across countries, across insurance, everything. So I said, you know, I think um, I'm super passionate about what we're doing, not only as a business, because I think it's an amazing business and uh, scalable. And I just like love waking up in the morning. And, and if we get someone to sign up, we just we're going to take care of them and keep them healthier. And that's really cool. As a, like, it's cool. That's the product for me. Um, it's really motivating. And, and I, I just love the business from a business perspective as well as like what we're doing every day. And so that's kind of how it got started.
0: <laughs> now, other things that are cool are raising huge amounts of capital. I'll let you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about that because you guys are on record as as having a couple significant cap raises recently. But I, I'd actually like you to talk about a little bit about the process of you know one one of the more popular topics. For our listeners is, you know, everyone's trying to find the resources that they need. And sure. uh, we we try to be brutally honest about the fact that it ain't easy and, nope. it, and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a tough process. And, you know, the whole the whole concept of Startup Hustle is about uh, about having some transparency and, and keeping it real. Um, and, you know, episode two of the entire series is titled Getting Funded Sucks. And uh, and unless something's changed, I would imagine that in uh, some levels you have had some experiences. So I'd like to hear about how you managed to do it effectively, as well as the notable points about
1: the the money you raised. Sure. And um, it it's definitely hard. It's always hard, no matter who you are, I think. Um, and uh, it does get easier the more you do it. Like I've been in the game for 10 years so, I probably raised money, you know, my first little seed round 10 years ago, and that was brutal, you know. Um, and then, you know, it gets easier the more experience you get. So, that's just one thing to look forward to for all the founders out there. But um, I think for us, we're me and my co founder, kind of like these veterans of the startup space. So, we're super methodical about data, rapid experimentation, and understanding. Demonstrating progress in an iterative way, and and following that—that's it. This is just operationally, but it speaks to fundraising too. So when we're um, setting up a experiment within the company, like we're going to try this, we try and do it in a very cost effective way. Look at the data, then invest if it's working. Um, and I think that discipline really comes through when we're pitching the company because our data is airtight. Um, we're super passionate about the business itself and those two things kind of help. Um, but you're not going to get around having hundreds of meetings. I mean, that's just, (laughs) that's just something you have to kind of, um, understand at the start of the process and, uh, and not get discouraged and never give up. And, um, I'm not a guy that like, it's kind of like, um, failure is not an option. And so I sort of uh, have this attitude of, um, I'll, 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 I'm so passionate about this business. I'm going to make it happen. Even if it takes a hundred meetings, it's like the the thought of giving up is not even in my, you know, it's just so, so I think um, there's this attitude around it. You got to have like a mental framework of, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep pitching this and keep learning from every single time I pitch the company. Um, also, you learn every time you pitch the company to an investor, you learn, what resonates and what doesn't. And you have to be constantly adjusting that as well. Like I think what I thought a great pitch would be, isn't necessarily what resonates with investors. Right. And that informs the company as well. So you have to keep reframing and keep tweaking after every meeting, you have to take in that information and, uh, and understand. And then if you, it, I always tell people though, if you've had like 50 investor meetings and you have no interest, something's just flawed. Like you have to keep it, you have to adjust something, um, and then keep going. You can't do the same thing again and again and again. That doesn't work. You have to have a ton of meetings and be adjusting along the way. And that's kind of the, the methodology that we have when we're fundraising.
0: So can we, uh, talk a little bit more about the rounds that you've raised? Because it's been a pretty significant total.
1: Sure. Um, we did a seed round to start out a million, a million and a half from like, uh, that was mostly angels, um, in the, in the LA area. Cause I'm from LA. We have an office in LA. Um, and then we had, we had angels in all over for that, but a lot, a lot of LA folks. And then, uh, and then we took the seed capital kind of built our initial products, launched, got a bit of traction and under, you know, really like, got to some level of product market fit. And then we raised a um, $3 million, I guess it's a seed round. I guess it was a pre-seed and seed round. I, I'm not great with the, the, the designations. Um, and then we just closed a $6 million round uh, in the first quarter of this year. Uh, we are continuing to build in our core product, which is what we're talking about, concierge primary care, but also build out our platform and make it more extendable to uh, different provider groups in different, um, parts of the industry, because especially given, given the recent, you know, coronavirus, uh, we have a really robust and extendable platform and, uh, from onboarding a patient to itemizing and managing doctors and making sure that they're matched to the right patient with our doctor matching engine to a really robust onboarding process. And then, obviously, doctor-patient communication with our chat application, and then uh, medical operations. Like we have a full stack there, which I don't think many companies. A lot of companies have parts, but we have the we have the marketing to the to the care, like the full spectrum. So we've been talking to other companies about uh, about using our platform with either their doctors or helping them um, helping them with with our infrastructure, and then also just keep expanding and growing our, our core business. Turn your mic on, Matt.
2: What were some of the challenges in building all of that technology?
1: Um, I think uh, the the building of the technology, um, I think, wasn't as challenging. I think uh, we have we have pretty good product in chops at the company, um, so I think uh, that part um, we can always improve, obviously. But uh, the the actual building of the initial tech. Wasn't the biggest challenge. I think now that we're scaling up anything that we're doing that is manual or requires a a human touch. We want to make sure that we're optimizing and and automating where we can, so we can scale up to millions of users. Um, Then we were again, I just want to go back to like the discipline of being iterative. When we launched, it was very basic. Basically, it was a chat app and that uh, and and we've added like so many features to smooth out the onboarding process as well as the care of the patient. Um, but we didn't, we didn't build until we kind of saw signals that the users needed that feature. So certain features you think you need, the users don't, don't, don't gravitate towards, but certain things you have to build in order to scale up. So I think we've just been pretty iterative in that. So that's, that's been a, that hasn't been the challenge, um, there's not, basically there's not some interesting answer to that question. It's just the normal development flow in a very robust way and hiring great people that can execute on that. Right. So developers and product people that can, uh, and my co-founder is really good at product. And, and we, uh, we have a really great team of developers that can execute on the vision, but it's more about the discipline about letting the users kind of guide your feature development. And that's, The patients and the doctors like if there's an issue the doctors are having that needs a technical solution we have to kind of spec that out and build it quickly so that they can uh they can operate more effectively and a a core kind of focus on is this enhancing the doctor patient relationship that's our core product and we try not to get between the patient and the doctor you can directly message your doctor but we want to make sure that it's not overwhelming for the doctor or um it's done in a robust way that can scale up. So it's always balancing those with a with the core vision of doctor patient relationship is first.
0: One of the things that's a challenge when it comes to to medical stuff is, you know, HIPAA and all the requirements. Yeah. yeah. Um you know, wrangling people's medical data is well, there's a there's a level of liability to that and a whole bunch of complexity that comes with that. Um I know we we're talking about some of the development challenges and other stuff. Um it, have you found that that has the 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 data side of things has slowed down your ability to
1: get where you wanted product wise? Um I think I think in terms of HIPAA and data management um again that's a pretty mature part of the industry. Um so I think there's services and companies and we don't mess with it. We just we we, we try and do the most robust security possible um, and make sure we're working with the right companies to host all the data on a HIPAA-compliant server um, and just go the extra mile there. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, so I think uh, d- data, it's it's obviously going to not be as quick as just, we're on AWS, like press enter and you're up. But it, that, that piece as well as... Um, telemedicine is highly regulated and it's not a, a national thing that you have to comply with. It's state by state. So what we've, uh, we've well, done that's over the make few... it a lot of fun, right? So, the, so over the last few years, we've methodically gone through every single state medical board, registered our company as, as a, as able to do business in those States, as well as um, if you're a doctor you need to be licensed in the state the patient is in. So, if you're, for example, like you guys are in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, if you go a mile across the river to Kansas City, Kansas, that doctor cannot, um, or the you no, know, the doctor comes to the doctor from Kansas drives a mile to see you in Missouri. He cannot legally see you, even yeah, though that's
0: it's like, actually yeah, yeah that's so, actually so. an issue for a lot of, a lot of service providers and. Um, in the Kansas City area, and for those of you listening outside of Kansas City, the our, our city is spread out over two different states, Kansas and Missouri, and the result of that is like much much like Guy said is you know like if you're a, a lawyer would be licensed in Kansas, the same with a, a physician, a therapist. I mean, a whole lot of professional services. So here in Kansas City, they often have to have to straddle both sides of the state line which adds a level of complexity and just compliance to what should or could be a basic service offering. I mean, you're in St. Louis and on some level, too. I mean, some of St. Louis spills into or is right next to Illinois. Sure, it's not yeah. it's not as pronounced as it is here in Kansas, where it's like kind of just right down the middle of the, right, right. the city. Yeah, but, but, that, yeah, that, but that's but something that's a little bit there. of a
1: challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so we have yeah. a ro- really robust regulatory team. Um, I don't know what it's up to. We've probably done f- 350 to 400 licenses for our doctors internally. So we've licensed our doctors in all these states so that they can uh, access a broader group of patients. So in every single state in the U.S., we have multiple doctors. Again, very unique um, to grind out that, that uh, regulatory uh, underpinning. Uh, even the telemedicine companies with $100 million in funding um, have 28 States or, or 36 States or, you know, they're, they're not bothering with getting Nebraska, but, um, we really want to be in all 50 States because I feel like, uh, it's just, it's kind of special to say anyone in America can get a, a doctor aligned with their life, uh, tomorrow. I think that's just awesome. And also, um, we have ambitions to go into other countries as well. So I think uh, there's this universal need to connect with a doctor that you have a relationship with that our platform is built for. And, and the doctors for.
2: have to be in the same state as the patient? No. The but doctor don't.
1: can be anywhere. They need to be okay. licensed in that state. Ah. So we'll have, mm. we have a doctor sitting in uh, Maryland, and they're licensed in 20 states. And they can is that patients common? In just those uh, for telemedicine, it is. So tell teledoc- them I mean, it hard
2: for the doctor to get licensed in the other states oh they'll they- they- never
1: do it on their own. we do it for them i mean they, they could do it on their own it'd be it's okay. it's like a very like we have a team internally that goes through the application process fingerprints <laughs> every state i mean it's it's a very manual process as well as um you're not dealing with like a API you can like port into. It's yeah. the Mississippi Board of Medicine, and you're calling them and making sure your doctors, doctors, all their, uh, all their criteria is met, so they can be licensed in Mississippi. So um, we've developed that capacity internally as kind of a part of our, part of our service to the doctors, and allow them to really access more patients nationwide. So many things. Pretty interesting. Yeah so many things about our healthcare
2: system would be a lot better if they could go across state lines. Like that's just a huge nightmare. I
1: mean, it's kind of of silly. And I think, um, I understand the need to, to, uh, there's a state board of medicine, but we're really talking about restricting care for people. And that's kind of, um, obviously if you go to, you could go to the university, you could go to UMKC medical school have lived in Kansas your whole life and get licensed in Missouri and you can't see a patient in Kansas, even though someone has the same education and, um, qualifications as you. It's a little, it's a little funny because healthcare doesn't change across the border where maybe you could say with like law, there's a state specific law you have to be aware of or, or other professions. Um, you're really restricting care. And so I think that's an unfortunate, uh, it's it's a relic of the past cuz most you never needed to be licensed across state lines until telemedicine really got bigger so you're, you you may might have two licenses um but now i think it's really unfortunate because i'm sure a lot of the specialists too would love not just primary care like love to take calls from patients from other states and they can't do it so um yeah hopefully I, they've relaxed a lot of that with uh covid-19 and i'm hoping people r- will realize oh We should just leave this, you know, we should just leave this policy in place. Um, I'm not um, on that specific issue. I'm not that bullish on them doing that. I think it will revert to the state-based system. In my opinion, I don't know. I have no inside information, but that's just my, my instinct.
0: Once again, with us today, we have Guy Friedman, the CEO of SteadyMD, SteadyMD.com if you want to go check them out, giving us some very, very, very interesting information about the telehealth space, which much to my surprise is a $20 to $30 billion a year industry. I have a feeling I'm pretty bullish on the growth of, of the <laughs> entire tele yeah. space. Um, in general, so guy, as we as as we finish this episode of Startup Hustle, we end all of our episodes with what we call the founders freestyle. Uh, we go over a lot of stuff, and and you know this this last forty minutes is breezed right by. Um, it, 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 with the founders freestyle, you get an opportunity to give the listeners advice, input. You can do anything you want, uh, but I'll go ahead and and hand that over to you and and hear what you have to say on your way out of this episode.
1: Uh, sure. So, um, I think for people looking for a doctor, maybe your in-person doctor isn't available anymore, or you really want to develop a longer term relationship with your physician over time, um, check out steadymd.com. And for all the, uh, entrepreneurs out there that are listening, um, I think, uh, I'm available. If, uh, if anyone wants to ask me advice or questions, it's guy at steadymd.com. And, um, I think, uh, we uh we i want to be a resource for the community as well in like the midwest and st louis and kansas city so if uh, if anyone needs anything they can always reach out and and um, i think um it's an interesting time to be in startup so don't give up uh keep your head up and and good luck to everyone
2: <laughs> mr watson you know i I have the direct care doctor I mentioned earlier, and uh, I have loved that relationship. And much like he mentioned earlier, before that, I had a lot of different doctors and never had a specific doctor. And I've never actually done video chat with my doctor, but I've can text him and call him and, and message him online. And I found it to be really valuable. So I'm a big fan of this direct care. And I think what you guys are doing is awesome and being able to do it, you know, at you know across all 50 states anybody can do it anywhere so i think i think that's awesome and yeah
1: my, my, my goal be, would be yeah my goal would be everyone gets what you just said that experience yeah um, and so i think uh we want to give that to anyone that wants it in america yeah
2: yeah and what, what i'd really like to see is figuring out how to pair it with insurance where you know as an employer can i actually leverage this and actually save money on my health insurance costs and then it's a true win-win-win all the way around and so I don't know where we're at on that part of it, but I, I, I'm really excited about that. I'd be like every one of my employees gets steady MD plus we have insurance on top of it, but that helped me save money and provide better care.
1: Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're do we're doing that for a small group of employers now, but that's going to grow. Um, I think uh I think the dust needs to settle with what's going on right now in America yeah. before anyone uh really yeah. reengages with it. But um. If you don't see the value in what we're doing after all this, then you probably never will. <laughs> so I think uh, I think um, you're absolutely right. For employers, they need to start thinking about this, and uh, and we're a perfect solution for that.
0: So once again with us today we had Guy Friedman who's the CEO of SteadyMD. Having a couple of connection issues here at the end of the episode. I'll go ahead and roll out my my version of the freestyle here. So um you know do if you get a chance go check out SteadyMD. The whole the whole telespace is on fire right now and in a good way it's going to the moon people um i mean the the one of the interesting things about any type of crisis situation is the level of innovation and changes that occur a lot of times this stuff is uh, a bit darwinistic in it's it's approach to changing the way that we do business and live our live our lives um, when it comes to doctors medicine healthcare, and all of that that's such a hot topic that so many people have when it comes to everything that they do, the expense and whatever, being able to do something like telehealth is has the ability to change the entire face of the way we practice medicine both here and globally as well as shrink the size of the world meaning you know as as many of you know we have 190 employees in the philippines having them be able to experience telehealth from the doctor that's right up the street from us or in nigeria or wuhan or anywhere where they need to get it where they need to scale up the level of doctors and the number of people this is what a technology like this can do make sure you get around to checking it out. While you're on the internet, stop by the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. Check us out on Instagram at at Startup Hustle Podcast, where I guarantee you, I will not post a picture of Watson's rash. See you all next time.